Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our Bold Conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant. everybody. It's great to see you. Hey, uh, we are in a series called Heroes, and I saw some of you guessing who the hero was going to be this week on social media, and I kind of like that. I kind of like the mystery of it. Um, And so last week, we talked about Abraham, and we talked about how Abraham had faith, and we talked about trying to develop faith like that. And uh, the whole context of this is we're in this series called Heroes, where in Hebrews chapter 11, what's called the Hall of Faith, the writer lists people in the Old Testament that walked with faith in God. And so then when you get to verse 12, and I'm going to read it, but it's the idea, it says, so therefore let us run our race. And the context is that you've got a race to run. So they ran their race. So you can think of Noah or Jacob or Joseph or Moses or Elijah, but they ran their race. And then it says that there's a great cloud of witnesses that are cheering us on. And so the whole context of this series is what would happen if we were to have one of them step out of the stands and come run a lap with you, like looking at the narrative of their Old Testament life, what would they say to you for your life in present tense? And so that's kind of the context. That's kind of the idea. And so let's read Hebrews. I still haven't told you who it is yet. Um, And so let's read this Hebrews text. And then I'll tell you after we pray or maybe later. All right, it's coming. All right, Hebrews. uh, And so Hebrews 11 lists them. And then Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run. That's the idea. This is the race. You've got a race. They ran their race. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's a great cloud of witnesses. They're cheering you on. And then it says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. Let me read the message. I love the way it says it. Do you see what this means? All the pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we better get on with it, strip down, start running and never quit. Don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished the race we're in. It's this idea of persevering. It's this idea of running your race. You've got a race to run. Your race looks different than other people's race. Don't quit the race. This whole series has this as our theme verse. We don't wanna quit. We wanna run the race that God has for us. And if you've got just some of these, some of these heroes of the faith, not perfect, only Jesus is perfect, but some of these broken men and women that would come and give you some encouragement, step out of the stands and encourage you, what would they say? So last week was Abraham. I was thinking about even the context of this idea and I was remembering, we got any, we got any, uh, we got any basketball players in the house? Just basketball players, okay, it's all right. Nope, not many, okay. All right, it's gonna be a long day. Um, hey, we got one in the back, all right. 
Uh, I was one of those amazing athletes that, you know, was great when you were a kid with the participation trophies, but somehow fizzled later in life. And so, um, yeah, I played some basketball this week and I was reminded just how much better others are. So, uh, and, uh, but I remember um, as a kid, uh, my parents would both sit in the stands when I would play basketball and they had different ways of cheering me on. My mom was loud. My mom, she's more of the seven on the Enneagram, everything's a party, and she would look at me. She had no idea what I was doing. She's just screaming my name because I was finally on the court, right? So it'd just be like, woohoo, you know, David. And she'd be talking to the person next to her and not even know if we were winning or losing. I don't even know if she knew if it was soccer, football, basketball, but she'd be like, woo, you know, and she'd be loud and aggressive and She'd scream for David and she'd cheer me on from the stands. My dad cheered me on in a different kind of way. My dad was so quiet. He'd sit there like this with his arms crossed and he'd put his finger like that. And then at halftime, he'd walk out of the stands and he'd pull me to the side. All the other guys got to like keep shooting and kind of warm up. I didn't. I spent halftime first with my real coach and then with my mega real coach. Like with the coach who was going to be my coach for nine games. And then my coach who was like giving me the, hey, hustle up. You're, I mean, just the real coach. And my dad would sit and he'd just whisper and he'd get down on one knee until I was, he still does actually. And so, uh, and, and he'd say, uh, he'd kind of, he'd just talk real quiet like this. All right, you need to hustle. You're really, you're really slow. Hey, David, hey, try to not take so many shots because you missed a lot. Okay, all right. Hey, David, you need to pass more. Okay, all right. Hey, David, you ever heard of a give and go? Because I think you're just not giving and not going, you know? Like, just, and he just coached me real quiet just like that. And then I'd go out, and then it was like I'd go into the second half like, yeah, and I'd hustle, you know, and try to, try to, and try to please the guy in the stands. And, and so this is kind of like that. It's kind of like Abraham last week, kind of getting on one knee and just kind of being like, hey, let's talk about how to walk by faith. Hey, let's, let's, let's work on this. How, how, and, and we kind of looked at the life of Abraham. And last week, we kind of took three laps around the race, just, just, just three laps around the track, just letting Abraham talk to us as we looked at three different scenes from his life. I want to do the same this week and look at three different scenes from the life of... Joseph, all right? So yeah, there it is. All right, see? You can find a lot of ways to get people excited about the Bible. You just don't tell them what you're going to preach on us. It gets people excited. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter 37. And um, let me pray. Father, we love you. And I ask that the word of God would come alive in our hearts. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We ask, Lord Jesus, that we would run the race of all the men and women in this room, we ask that we would endure. We pray, Lord Jesus, for supernatural strength. We ask, Lord God, that we would know you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that we would develop friendships and relationships and camaraderie that push us along the way and that we would become more like Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would listen to what you're calling us to do with our lives and Jesus, that we would lay our lives down for the gospel. God, we honor you. Open your word to us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. All right, I like that amen in the back. That was the best one yet. Uh, you are the star of the day. And so uh, Genesis uh, 37, if you've got your Bibles here, and this is a story 
where Jacob uh, shows favoritism to his son, Joseph. And so Joseph is one of 12 brothers. And most of you may know this story. It's a very famous Old Testament story. And the unique part about Joseph's early days is that he's got a father that loves him more than the others. This kind of idea of favoritism ran in their family. Thus, sibling rivalry probably was significantly heightened because of favoritism. And so uh, I know we as parents, we aim not to have favoritism, but how many in the room, you're a victim of favoritism. Just curious. Oh, that's three of you, four of you, all right? Like it's easy to look at at the way that you grew up and see some favoritism. Um, I, I, for me, I had a little bit. Um, my, my brother was five years younger than me and my parents, for whatever reason, when they had triplets, decided that they were gonna be pretty, pretty clear, have some clear principles. And then by the time my brother came five years later, post triplets, they were like, we done. You know, and just Dan got all kinds of freedoms that, uh, that David, Dana, and Deborah just didn't get. And so one of them was when we uh, moved to Oklahoma City in 1989, I, I dearly wanted a Nintendo. I just wanted Nintendo. It was real cool back then. Super Mario Brothers, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, you know, that kind of, that was the season. Duck Hunt, you know, like it was... It was cool and I wanted it. I liked it. I mean, even as we were moving there, we stopped and stayed with some friends in Denver and I got to play it and I was excited about it. And I asked my parents, can I have the, the, the Nintendo box, like the very first one? And I got a big no. And then we talked about stewardship of time and money and global evangelism and starving kids in Africa and just like... This whole thing, you know, over a Coke, like, let's, you know, would Jesus play Nintendo? And we're not going to do, and I just, I mean, I remember it was like, no, 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 we not do, we don't do Nintendo. That's not, that's not, there's a lot of things we do, but Nintendo, not one of them. And I was like, okay, all right, okay, okay, I got, you know, so I'm like, you know, four foot four and, you know, you know, and I'm like, I don't, I don't do Nintendo. It's something I don't do. And so eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, I mean, I would... I would feel a little bit guilty when I went over to friends' houses because I'd secretly play a little bit. And then I figured out, okay, my parents are, it's, it's kind of not so much like time stewardship. It's mostly financial stewardship. So they were pretty tolerant if I played at other people's house. It's kind of trying to figure out exactly how it went. And, and uh, you know, by high school, I wasn't really into it. I was, you know, that, that wasn't really a thing. And so I was doing lots of other things. But then I remember I came back from my freshman year of college and my little brother had moved into my sister Deborah's big room. She had the biggest room. That's a different favoritism talk. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, I mean, she had a huge room. I won't go there. She had a huge room. She had her own bathroom. She was like an apartment. And I lived like equivalent of like, you know, kind of like Cinderella lost in the attic somewhere. And anyway, that was by my parents' strategy. And so, but my brother had taken over that room. And in that room, my brother, when I came back, Thanksgiving, freshman year of college, lo and behold, not only I couldn't, we didn't, we couldn't have a TV in our room like that. My parents had upgraded the TV, put the old TV in my brother's room. He was 12 <laughs> and connected to the TV was, yeah, you know, a Nintendo. It's like, this is just, come on. Saying right, right? Ever been there? We got any victims in the house? Any pain? You can feel it. Yeah, you can feel it. And it got worse. My brother and I graduated the same year. He finished high school the same year that I finished college, right? So he's finishing class of 2000. He's finishing high school. I'm finishing college. And my grandparents, 
decided to go to both. And so that was awesome. They went to my brother's high school graduation in Seattle. They come to my graduation in Oklahoma City. And I'm graduating from college. He's graduated from high school. And they, <laughs> and they give me a, a gift and I'm grateful for it. I'm like, yeah, we go to lunch. I've got the tassels. And I'm like, Let's, yeah, thank you. So nice of you. Open the car. Thanks, sweet little gift. All right, thanks so much. It was a dollar amount. And I was happy with that gift until <laughs> I talked to my brother a couple weeks later. Yo, what Nana and Papa give you? Oh, you don't want to know. No, no, how much they give you? It was a hundred times. I'm not exaggerating, to the dollar. A hundred times what they gave me. A hundred. That's the Lord. It's a hundred <laughs> times what they gave me. I mean, that's like biblical proportion. I mean, my brother could turn that into a sermon of blessing. I'm using it for favoritism. He's a preacher. We just go different ways with it. <laughs> but I was like in pain. I was like, this is not right. It's real weird to get mad at your grandparents about the little, you know, so I didn't, I didn't really show it, but it was like a little bit unfair. And that's kind of the context of where we find our long text here is we've got Joseph experiencing where his siblings are ticked off just like me at their little brother because he's receiving favoritism. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 37. Here we go. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bela, the sons of Ziphah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report to them. Now Israel, here it is, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and, and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So here's Joseph and he's getting this dream from God. And he goes and he tells his brothers, it creates pain. He's received this coat uh, from his father. And, 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 and this is kind of where we pick up with Joseph. And we've got 12 of the last 13 chapters in the book of Genesis on Joseph, which is a lot of the narrative of Genesis is about Joseph. And so even more than we find in creation, we've got a lot on this man's life. And, and this story of Joseph, it's a long journey and we're gonna just be able to cover just portions of it today. But it begins here in his father's field where he's serving and he's taking care as a shepherd. And, and, and now you've got this moment where his brothers in their jealousy act and they hear the dreams and the dreams that, are, that God gave Joseph become painful because Joseph communicates them. And where these brothers take it is they go and in their anger, in their jealousy, they throw Joseph into a pit. And it gets worse because here's Joseph 
actual family throws him in the pit. And then Midianites come by and his actual brothers sell him into slavery. And so this is, this is, this is obviously the, the wound, the pain, as we see Joseph betrayed. Joseph betrayed, and, and, and so you've, you can imagine his life starts off pretty well. His father's favorite, he's got brothers, big family. Dad loves him, dreams from the Lord. And then, then the beginning of difficult circumstance begins, and it only continues, and it, from there it gets harder and harder. And so you've got these physical wounds that start obviously thrown into the pit, but then obviously the pain and the disappointment of what it means to have your, your, the people that, that are your family that not just throw you in the pit, lie about you. And they told their father that he'd been eaten by a beast and they made their father believe it. And, and so now it's like you're as good as dead. It's like you're, you're experiencing this rejection this pain. And I I would assume that if you were to put yourself in that position, this would be often a route where you would begin to justify hate and anger. And I would begin to justify hate and bitterness and anger. And when we look at the life of Joseph, Joseph responds in a way that I think all of us, if we could run a lap, what Joseph would grow from. Because we live in a culture that tells us when you are hurt, when you are wounded, when you've been done wrong, then in response, let some kind of rage, bitterness, anger cause you to have an action. And it's justified because you were wronged. And yet we find in Joseph this continual response It goes even all the way we're gonna go to in Genesis 45 where he actually sees his brothers again. But I want you to just picture how you respond. What does it look like when you've been wronged? When you have a family member, when you've had a friend, when you've had a boss that fires you, a friend that betrays you, parents, family, somebody that hurts you. And just begin to ask the Holy Spirit this question today. How do I respond in those kinds of moments? I think culturally we tend to even be coached into thinking, I'll get my revenge. In fact, there's a whole lot of movies where you watch the the, the plot, what's really going on. And it's, you were wronged at the beginning. You were were beat down. And then it's like, I'm coming out of this. And I'll, 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 I'll get revenge. I'll figure out a way. I mean, I mean, for me, some of those movies, I'm just telling you, it's, those have messed me up because there's almost a dignifying of getting back, of showing revenge. And we've, you've seen them, you know which ones I'm talking about. It's, I'll have my revenge. I'll, I'll, I'll get you, I'll come back. And we, one of the ways that the enemy keeps us from accomplishing the dreams that God has on your life is by getting that anger, that hate inside of you to where you're actually a part of the narrative of your life is even revenge. It's getting, I'll show them, I'll get back at her, that person who hurt me. And this story of Joseph goes so contrary because Joseph is one who shows kindness. And I want us, I want us to even just, just right at the beginning ask, am I someone that shows kindness to those who have wounded me? Or am I someone that gets revenge to those who have wounded me? In um, 2007, uh, I uh, was a pastor, an associate pastor for 14 years in Colorado Springs and 
lived there for 16. And we had a, a shooter come onto our campus, December 9th, 2007. And the shooter came onto the campus, opened fire, and two teenage girls that actually had the summer before been in an internship that I was leading were killed. Their father was shot. And it was a, it was a disastrous day. It was, it was awful. Um, but one of the pieces that blew my mind uh, coming out of that awful tragedy was David and Marie Works, who were the parents of these two girls. They had four daughters and the shooter shot at their family, hit David, uh, but he was wounded, but not killed. Two of his four daughters were killed. And, 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 and just to watch this process of this family of faith and how David and Marie demonstrated kindness in an unfathomable way. Like when you think about what took place, there would be all the reasons to want revenge, anger, hatred. And David and Marie works, um, they began to intentionally be kind and demonstrate love to the family, the parents of the shooter. The shooter was killed in the tragedy as well. And so both families had lost their children and I don't know all, the, all that goes inside, kind of the attack, what could have taken place inside of David and Marie. But I know what I saw and what I saw was this man and this woman as they wept, as they grieved, but then they turned all of their hurt and pain, not towards getting revenge towards the Murray family, but towards kindness. And it was first a meeting and a meeting at the church where then they just all embraced and wept together at the loss of their children and prayed together. And then it's a pretty amazing story because two years later, of one, two, one of David and Marie's living daughters was getting married. And by two years later, the, the Works family and the Murray family were so close that the Murray family came to the wedding of the Works daughter. And there was this reconciliation. There was in the moment that could have been, I'm gonna attack. I'm gonna verbally say things. I'm gonna, how did, there was this, this Christ-likeness, this, this something that looks a lot like Jesus in the heart of David and Marie that, that blows my mind, that was supernatural because it was God at work. It was, it was in, our own, in our own pain, our own hurt, we'll respond with, I'll show you I'll get back at you. And I, for me, I, I mean, I think of countless moments where my temptation is to not respond like Christ, but to respond with revenge. And it may not even be physical. It might be a verbal attack. It, it's easy to want to build gossip. It's easy to even just want to build up a, a bad motive of even trying to succeed in order to prove other people. I'll get back at you. I'll show you. And here's what we see in Joseph. We see Joseph responding in his life to broken, hurting, I mean, beaten up, betrayed, lied about moments over and over again. It's pretty hard for you to be betrayed by your brother, sold by family into slavery. He arrives in Egypt, sold as a slave, formerly father's favorite, formerly favored son with the coat, and now he's a slave. 
And he's a slave in a man named Potiphar's house. And as a slave, he then is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife who wants him to come to bed with her. And he, the scripture says he resisted day after day. And finally, she lied about him and he went to prison because of the, because of the accusation that was false. Here's another moment. Brothers betray, brothers sell into slavery. Now this lady accuses falsely. Now, now he's not just a slave, now he's in prison. So he's in a foreign land in Egypt from Canaan, but now he's learning a new language, learning a new culture, but now he's not just a slave in that culture. Now he's in prison in that culture. And so you can imagine a prisoner there. Surely at this moment, there's the anger at God. Surely at this moment, there's the anger at you wronged me. But it gets worse because there's two prisoners that come in and Genesis 40, we get more of the story where the Pharaoh's baker and his cupbearer are thrown into prison and, and Joseph is serving them by listening to them. And actually in the text, when you read it, he's noticing others. He's noticing that they're not okay. Ask what's wrong. And they both tell about dreams that they'd had the night before. They tell of the dreams and one is about cows. I won't take the time to tell the whole dreams, but the idea then is Joseph interprets the dreams one of the baker, one of the cupbearer to the, to the baker. It's, hey man, your, your life's about to be over. Pharaoh's gonna take you out. Cupbearer, you're gonna be restored. And then Joseph says to the cupbearer, when they are bringing him out, he says this phrase, and this is what I want you to see in this because it's another moment. He looks at the cupbearer. He's been betrayed by brothers. He's been betrayed by Potiphar's wife. He's been now in the prison, in a foreign land. He's been he's walking in righteousness. He's had dreams. The dream I read at the beginning that one day he'd have a place of royalty. And now he's in a prison in a foreign land. And finally, this potential chance of getting out of prison. And he looks at him, he says, remember me. Just, just that simple phrase, remember me, mention me to Pharaoh says it to the cupbearer. Remember me, mention just another prisoner. And then it says, the scripture says that the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, like he forgot him. So I want you to just see it. Here's in the text, story of Joseph, betrayed by brothers, sold, lied about, betrayed by Potiphar's wife, now in prison, at least here, got a couple other prisoners that you were good to. And this scripture says he was forgotten by the cupbearer. And it just feels like you look at the life of Joseph and he's got just challenge after challenge, betrayal. And I want you to just picture in your journey, your temptation, my temptation. When circumstance seems to get hard and worse, that we tend to have reasons why we are justified to be angry, to be mean, to be, get revenge. But when we look at the life of Joseph, we see Joseph. And here's the moment where I'm going because all the way through, as circumstance gets worse and worse and worse, we don't find revenge in Joseph, we find kindness. And listen to this. After two years, when Pharaoh has a dream, the cupbearer says, oh, there's a young 
boy in prison, a young man in prison and tells Pharaoh about him. Joseph gets his chance. He steps out of prison in a day, in a moment. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. He gets placed in second in command in Egypt. And then this is years later, grown man in his thirties at age 17, he was betrayed by his brothers. He's had quite a while of going down, 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 down. Now suddenly up, suddenly now he's the second in command. And I was just, I want you to just see the response of Joseph when finally his brothers, then they come to Egypt, middle of the famine. Joseph is helping all of Egypt get through the famine. Seven years, the, the interpretation of the dream was there'll be seven years of good years and then seven years of famine. And so Joseph is second in command and he's helping Egypt. And then there's the famine. And all of a sudden you've got everybody getting help from Egypt because God gave this interpretation of dreams to Joseph. And this is the moment where his brothers come to Egypt seeking help. And they kneel down and here's Joseph, no longer a boy. He's a grown man. And right in front of him, You've got the dream playing out. He's now helping them. And let's just read the text because I want you to see this kindness. Look at this. Then Genesis 45, verse four. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Just catch that phrase. Just catch that idea. Come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. You feel this moment? God on his lips. What's God doing in the midst of this chaos? He's talking about God and this could be any kind of moment. This could be a moment where they kneel down before him and he looks at them and he's like, "Mm, told you. Hey, guess what? Yeah, yeah. You remember, it's me, Joseph. You threw me in a pit, I'm gonna throw you in a pit. I've got the power. You see this dream coming out? And it could just be, and kind of like an American movie, I'll have my vengeance. But instead, you've got this moment where it's, it's come close, talking about God at work, God at work, God and, and kindness. And when you read the story of Joseph, then he throws them feast. He gives them land. And this was the phrase, I read it this week, that just blew my mind. Look at this. He says to them, he says, Genesis 45, 18, the best of Egypt is yours. Just think about that story. Here's Joseph. And instead of throwing them in the pit, instead of throwing them into slavery, instead of yelling at them, and I told you, and God was with me, and that dream was God, and I hate you. And, uh, instead, you've got one of the most beautiful moments in the scriptures of a man who in the whole process of his life, going down, 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 circumstantially, and then God in a day brings him up, and he's now ruling and now we've got the brothers come back. The dream that he had as a 17-year-old boy is starting to take place in front of him. And he's got a moment. And he says, hey, let's throw a feast. And he cares about his father. Hey, is dad alive? And he looks at his brothers 
and he weeps and he loves them instead of doing to them what's been done to him. It is the picture that we read about when Jesus tells us to love our enemies. Joseph is embodying it. And I wanna invite you to ask God today, who are those people in your life that you've still got that grudge? You've got that revenge. You've got that motivation. When you picture that moment where you accidentally saw them at Target, you've got already planned out what you're gonna say. You've got, I mean, you, mm, 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 mm. Your heart, all right, what would happen if your faith in God was so strong, looked different? I think we'd run a lap with Joseph and he'd say, hey, love your enemies, forgive your enemies, trust in God's activity, what God will do, not what man can do, not what you can do. There's a bigger story than your own hate and revenge and bitterness. God God can do miracles. Put your strength in God, not in your own strength to get revenge. God, help me love like you love. I think you'd talk about that. I think that'd be one thing we could see in the life of Joseph in the first lap. I think second lap, here's another one I love and I took a long time to tell the story. It's a, I mean, it's, I told it to you actually pretty fast because it's 12 <laughs> chapters. But I love in Joseph this heart of serving because we find him in the field serving, helping his father. Then when he goes sold into slavery into the house of Potiphar and he's serving again, Genesis chapter 39, look at this, verse four, we find him serving. Joseph found favor in his eyes, Potiphar's, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. So here he is, he's a slave from a different land. And he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all of, the, all of that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. This is our story, present tense, at whatever hospital, at whatever business, at whatever college you're at right now, where you get to go be a light where because you're there, there's blessing on the business. Because you're there, there's blessing on that hospital. Because you're there, you're, the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not con concern himself with anything except the food he ate. That's a good life right there. The only thing he cared about was the food he ate. I don't even really know what that means other than that, he just ate, that's it. He just didn't think about it. It's, don't let that be you. I mean, it's like, all he cared about was his food. Why? Because Joseph was doing such a, Joseph was flourishing. Joseph was serving even in Potiphar's house. Man, you know the temptation? What? I should be back home in Canaan. I got a coat I should be wearing. I was the, my father's favorite son. I got a future there. I got family there. Here I am, Egypt slave, man, I'm not gonna do my best. I'm not gonna serve. We tend to have reasons why we don't serve, right? Like uh, once I get all the circumstances right, then, then, then I'll lay my life down. Man, once I, once I pay off this debt, once I finish college, man, once I pay off this car, man, once my kids get out of the house, man, once I have kids, once I, I mean, there's some reason but I love the story of Joseph because we find him serving in the present tense, wherever he is, whether he's a slave, then even in the prison, we see the same thing. First a slave, first he's serving his father, then he's serving as a slave. Now 
when he goes to prison. Look at this, Genesis 39, 22. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And the context, he's talking about how responsible Joseph is. And he was made responsible for all that, he, that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Same idea, exact same concept as what they were saying in the text about Joseph with, with Potiphar. It's this, I'm gonna serve right here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna serve these people. And this is crazy because even when he's in the prison, think about the logic of this. Joseph had a dream that God gave him about him being a place of leadership. And now here he is in Egypt in a prison and prisoners come in and prisoners are distraught. And Joseph says, why are you distraught? He's serving the prisoners. Tell me the story. Tell me what's going on. So he's not only serving physically, but he's caring for, he's listening to. He listens to them and he listens to their dreams. He listens to the dreams of the other prisoners. Our temptation is we go, man, I have a dream. God gave me, I'm not have time to listen to your dreams. And here's Joseph caring about the dreams of others in the prison cell, caring for others at home, caring for others in Potiphar's house as a slave, and even at the bottom as a prisoner in Pharaoh's prison. He's going, tell me your dreams. Let me interpret. Let me tell, here, God will through me. Let me tell you what's going on. And I was just thinking about what, how, how much servant-heartedness, how much caring, how low to actually go, it's not just about my dreams. I, 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 wanna, I wanna help the dreams of others. You and I live in a culture that says, fight for your own dream. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Cut out anything that doesn't help you accomplish your goals. Center of the target. Make sure you pop, Don't you worry about the dreams of others. But the church is the people that we're going, no, 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 no. We're laying down our lives. I care about not just my own dreams about what I want to be, what I want to do. No, no, no. I'm trusting God to be at work with my dreams. What I'm going to do is I'm going to lay my life down. Here's the dream I have for a city. Here's the dream I have. I want them to come to know Jesus. I want them to be connected and become disciples of Jesus. I'm going to lay down my life to serve others, not try to cut out everything so that I can get what I want man, there's, there's some dreams of others. And your temptation when you're walking the hallways at that college, that hospital, that business to be my dreams. I got a retirement dream. I got a dream. And it's your eyes are on me, my dream. I wanna invite you. It might be challenging. It might feel like you're in a prison cell. But be looking around going, what are the dreams? God, what's, what's the dreams that you want me to serve while I'm here, not just my own. What are the God dreams? And in doing so, your faith is, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you. I'm gonna lay down. I'm gonna lay down my, I'm telling you, it is so easy for all of us just to go, I'm gonna do this. I wanna, I wanna live my life according to the American way instead of according to the God way. I want the American dream. I wanna invite you to think, what's the God dream? What is God saying? What's, I mean, what, what, what does God want to do through your life? I want to invite you to, if whatever you feel like you're in, you, you feel like you're in a prison cell, you feel like you're a slave, you feel like you're in your father's house and he's, you're working hard. I want to invite you to just begin to ask God, help my heart to be here so I can see what you're doing. I want to serve well. I want to serve wherever I'm at. 
Jim Elliott, the famous missionary, he said, wherever you are, be all there. So if you're in a season where you're in the field, man, serve in the field. Let God be glorified. If you're in a season where you're in the prison, serve there and go, Lord, what are, what are the dreams? How do I serve other people? Not just me. And I love that about Joseph. I think Lap too, he'd be like, man, just serve. Just, just, just trust God instead of trusting yourself and trying to make something happen. God is at work. This last one is this. I think we read in the life of Joseph, this unusual heart moving way that God is with him. God is with Joseph. God never left him. What I thought when circumstance got worse, it means God is absent. No, his circumstance gets worse. But when we read through it, God's with him the whole time. Look at this. Genesis 39 says multiple times. Verse two, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. Verse three, when his master saw that the Lord was with him. Verse 20, but while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. Verse 23, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Over and over again, the Lord was with Joseph. You have God with you even in your hard circumstance. He's with you. And we find this on the language of Jesus when he looks at his disciples. And surely I will be with you always to the end of time. To the end of it. He is with you. No, no, no. I feel like he's not with me because my circumstance is hard. No, no, no. That's not, that's not quite right. Maybe you're in the field. Maybe you're in the prison. Maybe, maybe, you feel like, maybe it's a hard time. But that doesn't mean that God's not with you. No, he is with you. It could be possible that God is wanting to do work in you. Sometimes we always focus on what's happening to me. Focus on what God is doing in you. It's God. In this season, my temptation is to spend all my energy focused on what others are doing to me. But you, God, what are you doing in me? You gave, you, you gave me this dream. You, you called me. What do you want to do in me in this prison season, in this season where I feel like a slave? What is the work of God that's going on inside of me? He cares more about your character than your comfort. Your culture says comfort. Your God says character. I'm working on you. And how will you respond when you go through the challenging moments? My dad used to look at me and he used to always say this, David, your response will determine your destiny. In this moment, this pain will either cause you to become a rebel or a John Wesley. And then I, well, who do you wanna be? A rebel or a John Wesley? I was the only kid in seventh grade who knew who John Wesley was. <laughs> I wanna invite you, respond like Joseph. Listen to this narrative and hear Jesus, where Jesus says, hey, guess what? You know what? You feel like your own pain being the narrative of your, of your life. Let me be the narrative of your life. You don't have to respond like that. Love your enemies. You can listen to Jesus where he says, be the servant of all. You want to become great, become less. Be the servant. Get the dreams of others in your eyes. Hey, listen, I haven't forgotten you. I know it's challenging. I know you're in a hard season, but guess what? I'm with you and I'm at work on the inside. Amen? Let's stand to our feet and let's pray together. Maybe you're here today and 
you don't even know what God's dream for your life is. You're like, I don't have a God dream. Here's how you get to have a God dream. Know what God's dream is for your life. Get to know God. <laughs> Joseph had a dream. He knew God's dream for his life because he was walking with God. He could hear him. He could listen to him. And you've got a God that speaks. You don't have to live out the American dream for your life. You can live out the God dream. Maybe today you're here and you don't know God, but you want to begin a journey. The good news is that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that you and I, broken people, that whosoever, if you'll call on him, man, he wants you to have relationship. He wants you to be in right standing with God. This morning, I want to invite you to get to know God and maybe you're here and you're not, you don't know God. If you'll just begin this journey today, it's the best decision you could ever make. I wanna invite all of you, would you just bow your heads and let's pray together. And, and if you're here today and you wanna begin a journey with God, I wanna invite you just to pray this prayer after me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus and I give you my life. I wanna know God. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me. Thank you that I can be in right standing with God. I give you my life. I choose to follow you. Save me. Heal me. Give me your dream for my life, not my own dreams. I want to know God. I give you my life. I want to be with you now and forever. In Jesus' name. Just keep your heads bowed and maybe you're here today and you know you're living with some revenge in your heart and the Holy Spirit is just speaking to you about it. I just want to invite you to respond right now and just forgive them. Just right now, just, God, I forgive. Just that phrase, God, I forgive. Do a work inside of me. Some of you here, it's like, it's almost impossible to put other people before you because your whole, your whole life is right now trying to accomplish the goals that you've made up, the dreams that you've made up of your life. Just say, God, I'll serve where I'm at. Do a work inside of me. Change me today. Some of you need to receive this. He's with you. Just pray, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to do life with God. The Lord is with me my car. The Lord is with me at the restaurant, at the Walmart. The Lord is with me as I work my job. Lord, you're with me. In this dark season, in this prison, you're with me. You haven't forgotten me. Bring me close, God. God, we love you today. Lord, I thank you for Radiant Church. I thank you for every man and woman. Do supernatural work in our lives today. We love you. In Jesus' name.